0: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to episode 27 of Breakfast with an Alcoholic. My name's Randall, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm often your host. I am excited about this episode. Well, I know I say that about every episode, and if we're being honest, wouldn't it be weird if I didn't? Anyway, I'm joined today by Jane, you know her, and Daniel, who's one of my sponsees. And we are kicking off an old-fashioned big book study we dive right in on chapter one and cover the first half of Bill's story. I think the story of how Bill got sober is the defining story of the Big Book and really understanding it and seeing the parallels with my own story has been one of the most important parts of my sobriety. If you want to follow along and don't have a Big Book there's a link to the AA website and the online version of the Big Book which has the same words in the same order. And if you'd like to buy a copy I sure wish you'd consider my friends at Choices Bookstore here on the Upper East Side. There's a link for them too. I'm going to say finding a recovery-based actual bookstore here in New York City was one of the ways I knew I'd found home. Anyway, I'm excited about this and I hope you'll pour yourself a cup of coffee and join us as we read and discuss chapter one of the big book, Bill's Story. Hello and welcome. This is the first installment in the much-discussed Big Book study group that we've been talking about. Uh, I'm really excited to start doing this today uh, with a couple of friends. We are going to be focusing on Bill's story, which is chapter one of the Big Book. Uh, And I'm Randall, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm doing this with...
1: I'm Jane, I'm an alcoholic.
2: And I'm Daniel. I'm an addict and an alcoholic.
0: So cool. Uh, We are, of course, going to be reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the fourth edition. Uh, Does anyone know why it's called the big book?
1: I actually don't. Fun fact.
0: I don't think I I do. So when they published the big book uh, for the first time in 1939, it was thought that alcoholics being alcoholics, it might be important to have a book with larger types (laughs) so that. You could compensate for all those bleary, (laughs) oozy red eyes. Uh, So it was an oversized book, which contributed to the cost. It was a very expensive book when it was published in 1939. And hence the nickname, the big book, (laughs) because it was literally a big book. (laughs) I'm going to start just briefly. This is the foreword to the very first edition. Uh, This is 1939, so this is like the very first sentence or two. And I always think it's really important to frame what exactly this is all about. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. So that to me lays it out. This is not like kind of a general experience thing. This is, hey, we've done this and here's how you can too. So mm-hmm. with that in mind, we will skip ahead to chapter one, page one. And Daniel, why don't you take it away?
2: All right, chapter one, Bill's story. War fever ran high in the New England town to which we knew young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned. And we were flattered when the first citizens took us to their, ho- their homes making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last, and in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. In time, we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. We landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a dog roll on an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold small beer. A good soldier is never forgot whether he dieth by musket or by pot. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. Twenty-two and a veteran of foreign wars, I went home at last. I fancied myself a leader, for had not the men of my battery given me a special token of appreciation... My talent for leadership, I imagined, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. I took a night law course and obtained employment as investigator for a surety company. The drive for success was on. I would proved to the world I was important. My work took me about Wall Street, and in little by little, I became interested in the market. Many people lost money, but some became very rich. Why not I? I studied economics and business as well as law. Potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly failed my law course. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it it disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I would still her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceived their best projects when drunk, that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so
0: derived. All right, I, I think that's pretty hilarious. I, I, and I think that there is so much um, just in this first page and a half. So why don't we take a couple of minutes and just kind of go through some of it. And, and you know, I've got a couple, but, but, but feel free to, to jump in. You know, First thing I, I want to point out is, you know, he kind of tells the story of his first drink um, mm-hmm. in this paragraph, and, it, and it's not really that much talked about. But but when you read a little bit more about it, um, you know he grew up in a in a family, pretty dysfunctional family. Uh, his father and mother got divorced. Uh, you know, and this is a time when people did not get divorced. Um, his grandfather had very proudly and publicly given up drinking. drinking. Um, so so there's a lot of stuff going on in the background for Bill. Um, and when that story he's joined the military it's uh, like 1917 1918 um, he's feeling great like everyone's happy you're going off to war there's all that pride here was love applause war moments sublime with intervals hilarious I was part of life at last and in the midst of this excitement I discovered liquor and you get that sense, I mean, for me, I was what I like to call a a white light drinker. Like that first drink, boom. I was like, this is fantastic. Like this connects all the pieces. And I I get the sense from this that that was Bill's experience too. And at the same time, he also knew, oh, (laughs) I'm in trouble, (laughs) right? Because in that very next sentence, you know, I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. And then he goes over to England and he's at Winchester Cathedral, and he's eight, 18 years old, right? And he, he reads this, here lies a Hampshire grenadier, drinking cold small beer was how he died. And, and Bill immediately identifies with that. Mm. You know, like, and, and that right, should tell you quite a bit. Like most 18-year-olds drink. I think that's probably a safe assumption. Not that many drink and say, oh, this is going to be what kills me. I, you know, I don't know about you guys. I, I definitely had that moment when I was 18-ish.
2: Totally agree. Um, I also just think it's super interesting, the juxtaposition, when he says, I was part of life at last, and in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. And it's just like this buildup of good times and excitement, and then just two sentences later, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. Mm-hmm. So just, just kind of showing that whenever... I am down, or whenever oh. Bill was down, he knew that there was something he could, he could take to instantly kind of elevate his mood and, and bring him back into good times.
0: And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point out one other quick thing here. And this is, I think, a really important thing. I talk a lot about this classification of alcoholics that Dr. Ruth Fox did in 1955. And she defines people, I think like all three of us, not, not all alcoholics and addicts, but I, I think knowing the three of us, we're all what would be called primary addicts. And she describes those people as people for whom they immediately know that the substance helps them navigate the world. And that's what you see there. Bill's first drink, this is fantastic. Wow, this changes everything. I'm happy, I'm part of the world. I was very lonely and again, turned to alcohol, right? It very quickly goes from being part of the crowd and happy to a tool to manage difficult emotions.
1: Hmm. I don't know. For me, I always go for on this page. I always go for which he failed to heed. I mean, and you guys know, I know I sound like a broken record, but for anybody who doesn't know, you know, my mom, my mom was just like the walking gravestone for me, like all the time. She was like, this is in your genes. It's going to get you. You're putting your hand in the fire. And I was like, it'll never happen. I'm like, look right where, where I am. So every time, I mean, it's it, it never fails to hit me every single time I read this page. When, when he just talks about the tombstone and the warning, it's like, hello, um,
0: going to the bottom of that first page too. I, I, I think one of the reasons that this resonates so strongly with me, and and I see all sorts of really weird freaky parallels between Bill's life and my own sometimes, but that's a different thing. But I also think the way he shows you as opposed to telling you, right, that's supposedly the great maxim of writing, show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Bill could say, I was a conceited, egotistical, arrogant asshole, or he could write a sentence like this. My talent for leadership, I imagine, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with utmost assurance. All right. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> and, and, you know, you, you go on to the next page, and, you know, he, he has this instant belief that he is going to succeed at everything he touches. Mm. You know, the backstory: story, he's, he's with Lois at this point. He's drinking a lot. And he goes to law school. And he gets all the way through law school. Um, he shows up at the end for his finals way too drunk. And so they finagle it so that he takes them later and he passes, but he never got his diploma. When writing that, you see the conceit, the arrogance, and that's also the fuels of the resentment that I think drives so many of us because there's this idea, wait, don't you see how effing great I am? Hmm. And then the other interesting point, though my drinking was not yet continuous... It disturbed my wife. (laughs) So, like, yeah, he was, like, stealing change out of her purse. It was not a great situation. And, um, you know, and and at the same time, I mean, and this is that self-dishonesty that becomes such a theme, he's busy telling her, it's not a problem, don't worry. Don't you realize, like, all the great geniuses of the world are pretty serious Mm -hmm. in
1: Well, and that's, like, this line, by telling her that men of genius conceive their best projects when drunk. Like, we have pages until we we get to the nitty-gritty of of how low Bill got. But already, there's so much dishonesty, self-dishonesty, and delusion in that. And I, I mean, I would be in school, I was in school still, and I was doing my, like, 10-page papers, hammered, and I was like, but I'll get an A, because Mm. I write the best when I'm drunk, you know? Like... (laughs) And I, too, was, like, pages away from my bottom. But it's just, it's it fascinates me how quickly the delusion comes on.
0: All right. Do you want to pick up there in the middle of page two, Jane?
1: By the time I had completed the course, I knew the law was not for me. The inviting maelstrom of Wall Street had me in its grip. Business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that one day would, find, would turn its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons like living modestly my wife and I saved a thousand dollars it went into certain securities then cheap and rather unpopular I rightly imagined that they would someday have a great rise I failed to persuade my broker friends to send me out looking over factories and management but my wife and I decided to go anyway I had developed a theory that most people lost money in stocks through ignorance of markets I discovered many more reasons later on. We gave up our positions and off we wore it on a motorcycle. The sidecar stuffed with, with tent blankets, a change of clothes, and three huge volumes of a financial reference service. Our friends thought a lunacy commission ha- should be appointed. Perhaps they were right. I had had some success at speculation, so we had a little money, but... We once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. We covered the whole eastern United States in a year. At the end of it, my reports to Wall Street procured me a position there and the use of a large expense account. The exercise of an option brought in more money, leaving us with a profit of several thousand dollars for that year. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. There was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair-weathered friends. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row, and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity, for loyalty to my wife helped at times by extreme drunkenness kept me out of those Mm -hmm. scrapes.
0: I mean, so that, again, like, what an unbelievable passage. And, and the, the, you just really, when you hear it aloud, and, and the words are kind of understated. I mean, I don't know about any of you. I feel like saying the words, there had been no real infidelity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not going not gonna to cut it in most situations. I don't know, what, 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 what struck you about this passage?
2: For me, I mean, he, he already mentioned on the first page about the ominous warning. So he clearly knows what alcohol and and addiction can lead to, and yet he continues um, kind of going down this path. And and I think Jane had touched on it, just like, oh, that won't happen to me. Like I'm I'm going to keep going up and up and up, even if I continue my my drinking continues on on that same kind of pace. Um, so like there's, there's at no point is he like, eh, you know. There was that ominous warning. Maybe I should cool it down a little bit. It's just like full, like all hands on deck, just going 100 miles an hour.
1: I think what stands out to me is, I mean, there's this paragraph where he talks about his drinking assumed more serious proportions and then the remonstrances of his friends terminated in a row and he became a lone wolf. And it's like what I said before. It's just how quickly. I mean, we're still pages from his bottom, but this disease is so progressive. And so all of a sudden he now has no friends and he's a lone wolf, but he's making money. So I guess that's okay.
0: Yeah. So so this just paints even more of the picture for me. And, you know, number one, the, maybe the worst thing in the world for Bill's alcoholism happens, and that is that his crazy ideas are successful. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go back to page two, like, again, when you read this and just think about these words actually being true, and this actually was true, we gave up our positions and off we roared on a motorcycle. The sidecar stuffed with tent blankets, a change of clothes, and three huge volumes of financial reference services. That was Moody's back in the day. That, and and they spent the summer driving up and down the East Coast evaluating businesses, a little crazy. But then it works, and Bill gets rich. Like and and so, you know, Daniel, to the point you were making, and and you know, Jane, you said this on the first page, like that thing goes from ominous warning to drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. Right, it worked. Mm-hmm. Look at me. Uh, and then, you know, like he's on his way to the bottom. You know, he knows it. His friends know it. They're all like, you've got a serious problem. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> Bill <laughs> I was a lone wolf. <laughs> Which brings me to page three. I'll i I'll read for a little bit. In 1929, I contracted golf fever. We went at once to the country. My wolf, My wife to applaud while I started out to overtake Walter Hagen. Liquor caught up with me much faster than I came up behind Walter. I began to be jittery in the morning. Golf permitted drinking every day and every night. It was fun to carry him around the exclusive course which had inspired such awe in me as a lad. I acquired the impeccable coat of tan one sees upon the well to do. The local banker watched me whirl fat checks in and out of his till with amused skepticism. Abruptly, in October 1929, Hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a brokerage office. It was 8 o'clock, five hours after the market closed. The tickers still clattered. I was staring at an inch of the tape, which bore the inscription XYZ-32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished, and so were many friends. The papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several million since 10 o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He had plenty of money left and thought I had better go to Canada. By the following spring, we were living in our accustomed style. I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba. No St. Helena for me. But drinking caught up with me again, and my generous friend had to let me go. This time, we stayed broke. We went to live with my wife's parents. I found a job, then lost it as the result of a brawl with a taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment, for five years, or hardly draw a sober breath. My wife began to work in a department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three, got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. This went on endlessly, and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumbler of gin followed by half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope.
1: I think that's just devastating. It is. It is absolutely devastating. But what I'm laughing because when he says, "I still thought I could control the situation," I mean, how long did we all think that we could control the situation? Yeah. I mean, I know for me personally, I was going real far down the spiral, and there was no controlling the situation. But I was like, "I got it. I'm good. It's fine." <laughs>
2: One of the parts that stood out to me the most was when he talks about the men jumping from the top towers of high finance and he's like, That disgusted me. I went back to the bar. Tomorrow was another day. I drank. Um, and just it, it reminds me of that first line in the first page when he's like, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. Um so it's just another instance of like all this hell is going on around. It's the Great Depression and as long as he has his alcohol, he's totally fine.
1: I think there's super huge irony in that sentence too, Daniel. Uh, like he was like, I would not dr- jump, but he went back to the bar. Like there's so much irony in, okay, these people are jumping. He, he thinks that's disgusting, but he's going back to just slowly keep killing himself, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, it, when,
0: I when I think back on my drinking, drinking was what let me ignore consequences primarily. <laughs> You know, and when he writes, uh, my friends had dropped several mil- million since ten o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day. Of course, he says that at the bar, right? <laughs> which which he points out at he's been at since at least five hours since the closing, <laughs> right? I, I just love how he gives you the clues. Like if you want to do the math, here's the math. Like I'd been there for quite a few hours. <laughs> you know, when he when he tells you, you know. Mercifully, no one could guess I was to have no real employment for five years. Well, that takes you to 1934, when he does eventually get sober.
2: Gradually, things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at the low point of 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously the profits. Then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. Shortly afterward, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. Someone had pushed a drink my way, and I had taken it. Was I crazy? I began to wonder, for such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. Renewing my resolve, I tried again. Some time passed, and and confidence began to be replaced by cocksureness. I could laugh at the gin mills. Now I had what it takes. One day, I walked into a cafe to telephone. In no time, I was beating on the bar, asking myself how it happened. As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would manage better next time, but I might as well get good and drunk then, and I did. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. I hardly dared cross the street, lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight. An all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. Should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Gin would fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. The mind and body are are marvelous mechanisms. For mine endured this agony two more years. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window, or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for a weakling. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor, lest I suddenly leap. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. Next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. This combination soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity. So did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight.
0: Well, what do you guys think of this?
1: I think these pages are super heavy. I mean, you said before, you know, he, he did this for five years. And I was, I was flipping back as Daniel was reading because, you know, on page three, he says, my drinking assumed more serious proportions. And now here he is and he can't, he can't do anything except for drink. I mean, it's just, it goes back to the devastating, you know.
2: His tone is also changing. Um, he mentions like the market would recover, but I wouldn't. Um, whereas in the first... Part of his story, everything is just, you know, kind of sunny and, and things are going to be great. And we're chattering and, and millions and, and everything like that. And now he's just kind of coming to the realization that the end is, is near.
0: That's exactly right. I mean, he, at the he's describing the end stages of alcoholism mm-hmm. at this point, right? He's lost 40 pounds. He can't eat anything. He's kind of insane. As I mentioned, he's living on the mattress in the basement so as not to jump out the window. It's a it's a pretty difficult time, and and he also describes in here um, anxiety, you know, which which was not really something that got talked a lot about then. But when you read that description of anxiety, uh, that's pretty familiar to me. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. Mm. Ever felt that way before? Oh yeah. Apparently that is driven, you know, when you drink, it synthetically produces, you know, dopamine and promotes the release of all these other things, but all on a synthetic basis. And so your brain apparently says, well, we won't need any more of that. And then when you, when the effects of alcohol leave, when you sober up, like you're, you're short on <laughs> dopamine and serotonin and all those things, and that's why you kind of freak out. Like your brain is like, wait, what, what, what? Uh, mm. that, that because it b- has become dependent on the, on the chemicals and hormones that the alcohol produces and stimulates. That's what makes you feel so shitty and why you think it reinforces the idea I can't live without drinking because the only thing that makes that stop is drinking. And I, I think the other theme that is super important that, that emerges more strongly here is he is unable to stop himself. He now knows exactly where this is heading. And, and Daniel, to your point, he has, you're exactly right. The, the tone has shifted. Alcohol is no longer the thing that's taking him to the top. It's what is taking him to the end and he knows it and he hates what it's doing to him. He recognizes all this and he can't stop. Jane, you want to pick up my brother-in-law?
1: My brother-in-law is a physician and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called Belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. But it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a skeeja. After a time... I returned to the hospital. This was the finish. The the curtain, it seemed to me. My weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium tremens, or I would develop a wet brain, perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum. They did not need to tell me I knew and almost welcomed the idea. It was dev- it was a devastating blow to my pride. I who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. Now I was to plunge into the dark jo- the dark, joining that endless procession of thoughts who had gone on before. I thought of my poor wife. there had been much happiness after all. What would I not give to make amends, but that was over now. "'Now word, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair "'I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched out around me in all directions. "'I had met my match. "'I had been overwhelmed. "'Alcohol was my master. "'Trembling, I stepped from the hospital a broken man. "'Fear sobered me for a bit. "'Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink "'on Armistice Day, 1934. "'I was off again.' Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to a miserable end. How dark it is before dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last Dubak. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes.
0: So that is Bill facing the end. To me, the pivotal sentence in this section, the one that really sums up the struggle of active alcoholics and addicts. After leaving town's hospital, being told <coughs> this is going to end with you dead or in a sanitarium, and and Lois was actually spending her time researching which sanitariums to commit him to, and his doctors were saying, you are going to have to do this to him at some point, otherwise he'll die. He knows all that, and he can't stop drinking. Fear sobered me for a bit. That fear, that self-knowledge, oh my God, this is gonna kill me, is never enough to make you stop.
2: He says, it was a devastating blow to my pride. I, who thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. And that happened so many times um, for me, and I'm assuming all of us where we, we think we can do it on our own and we have so much kind of self-will that we're not willing to, to, to let go of. Um, even though we, we understand that there is a solution um, if we do so, but there's just that self-will and, and that we hold on to until the very last minute.
0: During this time in and out of the hospital, Bill is starting to formulate his theory of alcoholism and he's talking to Dr. Silkworth who's explaining to him, you know, this is an allergy. And so he's been sober for a little bit after this stint in Towns Hospital, which used to be on Central Park West. Um, and an armistice day, he goes out to Staten Island to play golf. And he goes out there and, and goes and hits some balls and he meets this guy and they kind of end up hanging out. And the next thing, and Bill's explaining his whole theory of alcoholism to this guy who he's never met before, who's not an alcoholic. Uh, and then the bartender's like, hey, it's armistice day, are you guys vets? And Bill's like, well, I am. <laughs> And starts drinking and the new friend's like, what? what, that's horrible. Um, and that's bill goes off in his bender, right? I mean, so he writes this, right? You know, how incredibly despondent he is. He's near the end. And again, drinking is what makes it possible for him to ignore even that consequence,
1: Well, how we were talking about tone change in the last few pages. I just, I love this last little chunk where he's like how dark it is before dawn and the, you know, the fourth dimension of existence, you know, and I feel again, his tone, just even because we're not quite there yet, but there's that little change of now there's hope, you know, and, and something is coming that is going to change him, you know? And I just, I love that last little piece of hope, you know?
0: Near the end of that bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen. With a certain satisfaction, I reflected that there was enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through that next night and the next day. My wife was at work. I wondered whether I dared hide a full bottle of gin near the head of our bed. I would need it before daylight. My musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. He was sober. It was years since I remember his coming to New York in that condition. I was amazed. Rumor had it that he had been committed for alcoholic insanity. I wonder how he had escaped. Of course he would have dinner, and then I would drink openly with him, unmindful of his welfare. I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. There was that time we had chartered an airplane to complete a jag. His coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of futility, The very thing, an oasis. Drinkers are like that. The door opened, and he stood there, fresh-skinned and glowing. There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. What had happened? I pushed a drink across the table. He refused it. Disappointed but curious, I wondered what had gotten into the fellow. He wasn't himself. Come, what's this all about, I queried. He looked straight at me. Simply, but smilingly, he said, I've got religion. I was aghast. So that was it. Last summer, an alcoholic crackpot now, I suspected, a little cracked about religion. He had that starry-eyed look. Yes, the old boy was on fire all right, but bless his heart. Let him rant. Besides, my gin would last longer than his preaching. But he did no ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court, persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. That was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. He had come to pass his experience along to me, if I cared to have it. I was shocked but interested. Certainly I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. He talked for hours. Childhood memories rose before me. I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat on still Sundays way over there on the hillside. There was that proffered temperance pledge I never signed. My grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folks and their doings, his insistence that the spheres really had their music, but his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen. His fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. These recollections welled up from the past. They made me swallow hard. That wartime day in old Winchester Cathedral came back again. I, I mean, of course, I think this is the pivotal story of the big book, Bill's Dinner with Evie, uh, And again, the writing is just so compelling and the Mm -hmm. way he takes you back to page one. You know, when he talks there about sitting and listening to his grandfather and the, you know, they used to go to the revival meetings and all that. Uh, And that was, those were his roots. And I think this is important and it's the first of many things I would like to say about this passage, but I think this may be one of the most important ones, which is here he is beginning to realize, and this is something that my sponsor, your sponsor all says, that recovery is about recovering yourself, recovering the person you were meant to be and the life you were meant to lead. And I don't think it's an accident <coughs> that Bill has his change of heart. He has his dinner with Ebby, and the thing he thinks about is the person he used to be, the boy he was before he started drinking. That's what he went back to. You know, he says it here at the top of page 10. Abby has said, I'll tell you about it if you care to hear. And Bill's like, I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless, right? That's the bottom. And it's at the bottom that Bill realizes how far away he is from the person he was meant to be. And that is how I have come to define the bottom. That moment when you realize that you are about as far away from that person, that life as you could get. Mm. Uh, And that's when you feel true hopelessness, emptiness, loneliness. Mm. And it's in that moment that it's possible to start again.
1: But I really love, I mean, I really love how you just said, Randy, recovery is about recovering yourself. And I think I, I, you just kind of phrased that in a way that I, I, nobody's phrased for me before and how he brings us back to page one and how he goes back to where he was, you know, back in London or wherever he was. And I've been saying all the time, like, where did that fire go? Like I went to school for art. I wanted to be a photographer and, and everything. I mean, my alcoholism just swallowed all of that up. And so now in sobriety it's like I just I'm looking back at that person I mean I started to drink when I was 14 you know and so I'm I'm looking back and it's like what happened and I know what happened you know but it's sad in a way because I don't know how it just speaks to me about how like yes getting sober is is not drinking and not using, but that's just such a small part. Like there's so much that comes after you put down the drink and after you put down the drug. And I don't know.
2: Um, I also really like just how he he just can't believe Abby. Like, and he keeps mentioning, like, I'm going to pass, I'll pass the drink across the table to him. And then he's mentioning, like, recapturing the spirit of other days when we charted an airplane to complete a JAG. It's like it's just genuinely impossible for him to think of this man in any other way besides like drinking with him and and being debaucherous together. Um, And it just got me thinking about how when we all get when we've gotten sober, it, it, it just to think about the day before we all got sober, we were just having yet another day. It was just another crazy day of drinking and using. And it, for me, I, w- I was like a, not just a daily user. It was like an hourly thing. And just to think that the day I got sober was just like, like how are they t- so completely different? It's just like going from one day to the next, my life completely you know, went on an altered path. Um, so it's just really wild to think about
0: at some point i think i'm going to make you write about your your day at the golf course because oh, oh. <laughs> i feel like that wasn't it the next day you went to detox
2: it was it was yeah. and i, I kind of want to bring up that that line um <laughs> liquor caught up with me much faster than i caught up behind walter (laughs) i think think that line is just like so fantastic Uh, i do do like that assignment and i think that's a good one for for anyone just to think about and kind of document what that last day um go you know was about um just because it's it's obviously something went the way it, that it did for you to get sober the next day. So I think that that's almost a, a more important day than like the, your 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 sobriety date almost. I think that's why people start to get like a certain feeling and emotional um, in like those weeks before their anniversary date because it just brings back those memories because for most, for a lot of people like it was their bottom or, or one of their bottoms that Finally got them to get to get sober when they did, but in those weeks leading up to that date, obviously life was 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 hell.
0: Just a couple of of my own last thoughts, because we'll we'll talk about obviously the the dinner with Abby and the consequences of that more um, next time. But but I do think one of the things that that Bill does a great job of illustrating here is, you know, he's trying to continue to be an alcoholic. <laughs> he very much wants to be able to say, Ebby's insane, right? I mean, it's just a different form of it. And he can't. And, and I think that is a really interesting feeling. No matter how hard Bill is trying to persuade himself that this is nonsense, there's something about it that is telling him that he can't. And whether it's Abby's appearance you know, cause two months in you, you know, we all know how that looks pretty, you know, you look pretty great two months in. Mm. Um, so that was part of it tone of Ebby's voice must've been part of it. And, and Bill's own desperation must've been part of it too. But I think that's an imp- interesting topic to, to, to explore is kind of that process of self-honesty because I think that's the other thing that happens at the bottom is Mm -hmm. you finally tell yourself the truth so I think that's where we're going to park it for today right there in the middle of page eight and we will pick up from there next time uh this is right at the end of Bill's dinner with Debbie so I think it's a it's a good spot to pause any any last thoughts on what we covered today
1: I don't have any Daniel Daniel has me thinking about my bottom and and it's still a little far, but we're getting close to January, guys. So now I'm thinking about those weeks leading up. Um, but I think this was great. And thank you, everybody, who has joined us today.
2: More is uh, more is to be revealed next time. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you, guys. And uh, we'll see you next time.
0: Well, that's another episode of Breakfast with an Alcoholic. I hope you enjoyed it. In fact, I hope you enjoyed it so much that you subscribe. And to make that easy, I put a button down there. You can just push it. Go ahead, I'll wait. All right, cool. When you subscribe, you get the daily gratitude list, all of the future episodes of Breakfast with an Alcoholic, the liner notes, the official discography, and so much more. The really great news? You can subscribe today for free. I mean... You're probably also going to be able to subscribe tomorrow for free, but wouldn't today be better? Also, I know it's Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's totally cool if you want to tell your friends about us. It's Thanks, flms, Thanks for Letting Me Share, on Instagram and Twitter. And I put another button down there to make it super easy to share. So, subscribe, like, share, follow, and I will be very grateful on a serious note if you need help or want to learn more nyintergroup.org has a complete listing of aa resources in new york and there's an intergroup site for every state and a lot of countries if you want to ask us we can try to point you in the right direction too so that's it you can look forward to the liner notes for this episode soon and i'm already excited about the next breakfast and not just because there are going to be pancakes involved until then Be well, stay groovy, go to a meeting, and call your sponsor. Thanks for letting me share.